Welcome to Dare to Be Legendary, a podcast brought to you by Diversa Partners. In this podcast, we'll be sitting down with some of the brightest minds in tech, the founders, the visionaries, the entrepreneurs, the executives that all have one thing in common. They are the leaders of today that are entirely transforming the technology ecosystem as we know it. In each episode, our guests will share their journey, vision, and market expertise with us. They are the ones who dare to be legendary. Today, we're diving into the art of storytelling. In this episode, we're talking all things marketing, data, and the digital frontier. We're joined by Stephanie Buscemi, prior CMO at Salesforce, who is now the chief marketing officer at Confluent. On the Diversa side, we have longtime partner and 25-year exec search veteran, Marianne Martiri. I'm your host, Nicole, and let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. I would like to welcome Stephanie Buscemi to our Dare to be Legendary podcast. Stephanie, in her own right, is quite legendary. She's a legendary CMO in my eyes. She has been named to Forbes' most influential CMOs list, business insiders, most innovative CMOs, and I can go on and on. The point being, she is certainly a force in the tech scene. I've known Stephanie since 2014. Stephanie, I don't know if you remember our first meeting, but it was at a Pete's Coffee. It was one of those buzzing San Francisco mornings, right? So loud, so busy inside the cafe. I remember us sitting outside and it was kind of the early days of your career at Salesforce. We were talking about balancing life as you know, a business executive, a marketing leader, and a working mom. We were both working moms as well at that time. And it was a great conversation. Fast forward today, you are now the CMO of Confluent, one of the fastest growing businesses in the Valley. Confluent, as uh, people may know, recently made their announcement to file for an IPO. So I know there's exciting times ahead in this journey for you. And I really appreciated that first meeting and how that first meeting turned into a real professional friendship over the years. And I'm really thankful for your time today. And I'm very excited to be hosting. Thank you for having me. Feelings mutual. I definitely felt like the first time we met, we just connected. And that's just how it's been over the years. Same here. Same here. Well, why don't we start out today? I think our audience would really love to hear your story. Did you always want to be in marketing? Was your plan to always end up in technology? I'd love to hear a little bit about your story. Yeah. I actually... I grew up in the Bay Area you know, kindergarten through high school in the Bay Area. And so, you know, I was immersed in the tech scene from a very early age. And yet I thought I was going to be, I don't know, Katie Couric or Jane Pauley, or I wanted to have a career in broadcast journalism. And so I went to UCLA for my undergraduate, interned and worked at CBS and NBC and the traffic rooms. And while I had a really great time doing that and I learned a lot about it, did my tape and all of that, I missed the Bay Area. And so I came back to the Bay Area after a few years working at a college uh, in broadcasting. And when you come to the Bay Area, you know, 
it's not the same. You know, New York, Los Angeles, major broadcast television and media markets. Bay Area, not so much. And, you know, my mindset was like, if I'm going to live my life, have my family and everything in the Bay Area, I want to be part of Silicon Valley and want to be part of that experience. And so I made a bridge over. I actually worked for an agency, a media agency that was servicing both consumer accounts as well as tech accounts. And that was sort of a a stepping stone uh, to get to know more tech companies. And eventually, one of them offered me a job and said, do you want to come client side? And that was actually uh, business objects. And so that was my cutover point. And then, uh, I don't know, 25 plus years later, still loving it and in tech. And over that 25 years, always on B2B marketing, a variety of different marketing leadership roles. And I just, I've always loved marketing where it sits within an organization and what it gets to do. I mean, you get to be a storyteller. You get to help develop, deliver, and evangelize the story and the offering of a company. And I just, it's a blast. I get to work with product people, salespeople, every corner of the organization and with a ton of customers. So I I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Well, you're still using your broadcasting, right? From a marketing perspective. That's right. That's right. great. Why don't we transition a little bit to career? You had spent almost seven years at Salesforce and quite a journey, spent two and a half years as CMO. Can you talk a little bit about your run there? What it was like working for a brand like Salesforce, but also you know, becoming a strategic partner to Mark? Yeah, it was a phenomenal experience. Just a total privilege. When I came into the company in 2014, I was somewhere around employee in the 14,000s. I think the company's now over probably close to 55,000 over that seven-year period. So that just kind of gives you a sense of 14,000 to 55,000 over a seven-year period. I think we were about $4 billion in revenue. And now Salesforce is clearing $21 billion. So the pace and the growth was just incredible. Anytime I walked into an all hands or any kind of meeting, I always asked, like, you know, kind of raise your hand if you've been here uh, a year or more, or, and you, you'd find out like half the room was just hired, just an incredible <laughs> amount of growth. When I first came in in 2014, I actually came in to launch the analytics business. So Salesforce was getting very serious about getting in the analytics space. I had a lot of experience within analytics and business intelligence with SAP and Hyperion. And so that was just a blast actually going into this company that was deeply rooted in CRM and coming and having them get into analytics, which you know is a category at the time, the TAM, the total available market on that actually at the time was larger than CRM. And so really getting across the entire organization, launching that first product, Analytics Cloud, the first five customers, the first 50 customers, getting to 500 customers, building out the analytics sales team. I mean, it was just a very new and different motion for the company. And it was your startup inside of Salesforce. It was my start. That's how I started in 2014. So I was leading Analytics Cloud. and it was just a great opportunity to get across the company and feel like something that I had a lot of experience in. I felt like I could bring a lot of value introducing the company 
really into that space and cementing our leadership position within that. And then during that time, really noticed that because of just the astronomical growth of the company, the marketing, like in particular, like the product marketing was really disparate across the company sitting in product management. And I had, you know, I verbalized on a few occasions, like, you know, we have all these amazing marketers, but it almost won't matter because we're competing with each other. My joke was, and it's probably not funny, but I would say it's like, you know, landing in San Francisco airport without any air traffic control. Like we're all landing the planes metaphorically on the customer. And we really need to unify this, bring this together. And it was at that point that Mark and uh, some of our other execs were like, that's a great idea. Why don't you do that? (laughs) And Oh, okay. I asked for that, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Careful what you, careful what you say. Uh, so I spent about two years bringing together all of the product marketing functions, focused on as well as on demand generation. At that same time, we were really birthing uh, industry marketing, the organization, uh, industry marketing organization. So it was an incredible amount of hard work because you're really going from individual product narratives, there's sales cloud, there's service cloud, there's marketing cloud, to really what is that, what is the overarching one plus one equals three narrative of Salesforce and shifting perceptions. I think with that growth, a lot of people still had thought of Salesforce predominantly as an SFA. Or if they said CRM, they might have sort of a dated definition of what CRM was. And so really telling that, hey, this company is really about creating connected customer experiences. And that goes far beyond sales. It has to connect sales, service, marketing, every touch point of your organization. So working on that narrative, operationalizing that across marketing was just a blast. And I was at the time working with the CMO who had all of the corporate marketing functions uh, and then eventually he took on another role within the company and it was like, let's bring all of this together. Uh, and then that's when I uh, stood up as the CMO for the company and did that for two and a half years. And I would say a couple key takeaways from my time at Salesforce, things that will always stay with me. One, Mark taught me and is the master of relevance. You know, I think any organization sometimes you know, you can get so mired in inside the company that, you know, you're doing new product launches or new campaigns. And Mark is so incredible about always staying on the pulse of what's going on in the world and for the customer, building that muscle around always being relevant. And I think probably one of the best examples was my time there during COVID. All of a sudden, you know, we had just finished our annual plan. Our new fiscal year started February 1. That was right when, you know, COVID was starting. And it was like, it became meaningless. Everything that we had planned for the new fiscal year. And it was like, you know, it would almost be tone deaf to be calling customers at that point, you know, in early March and saying, you know, are you interested in service cloud or sales cloud? People were in crisis. And just the way that we all came together and said, what does being relevant look like for our customers right now? And it meant creating a vaccine management solution. It became helping them figure out like first crisis communications, how to get out to their employees, how to create a work from home environment. 
And we literally pivoted the entire organization. I mean, who knew in February that in May, we would actually, over that time frame, redirect engineers, product managers, marketers, everyone, and build a family of applications, our work.com applications for managing through the COVID crisis. I mean, that I'm just so proud of the work that everyone did around that. It was incredible just to see like, and that all was about being relevant. What do your customers need then? I think the second thing that I would take away from Salesforce is speed. Again, February 1, we had one product release calendar and set of plans for the year. You'd go to an engineer and tell them within three months they were going to be building, you know, applications for vaccine management. Nobody would have believed it, but we pivoted so hard. There's a saying at Salesforce, you know, as a company gets big, there's always a worry of being kind of like, how do you turn the ship, you know, this big ship? And Salesforce is not a big ship. It's 50,000 plus speedboats. Think of it as like synchronized swimming. The company has always been nimble. And so speed matters. And I've always had that in my DNA and the way I work. I'm probably, if you're looking for someone to do, you know, one thing at 110% or, you know, 20 things at 95%, I'm the latter. And that's because I believe tech is dynamic, it's changing, and you got to move fast and you got to iterate and experiment and move as you go. And Salesforce is a perfect example of that. Speed matters in everything that we do because it's back to that being relevant. Yep. Really good connector. And did you and Mark work? I'm sure you guys worked very closely together over the, the years. Oh, absolutely. He's creative. He's extremely energetic. Like he's visionary. Like he just has a lot of, he's an ideas person. Like he can think up really big creative ideas. And he also can think through over the horizon, like, like what will be great right now? And then what does it need to look like and evolve over time? So I think he is not only can look out into a market or at the customers and think about what's going to be most relevant, but he also can be equally creative and innovative about the ways to solve for their needs. And so he's definitely a visionary visionary and just a complete ideas person. And he loves to do the kind of the riff on that with his leadership team. Yeah, that's great. Fast forward now, Stephanie, you've recently joined Confluent. I think you're a couple months in. Congratulations on that move, by the way. News coming IPO hit the wire a few weeks ago. So there's this such an exciting path and journey ahead of you. I'd love to know what inspired you to join this company. Because I know we we've had some conversations around you doing boards and you doing something different after Salesforce. Um, I'd love to understand what made you make this move. Yeah, I, I would describe it as personal and professional. Personal, probably a little bit of like, I have this, this itch I had to scratch, which is I'm turning 50 this year. And you know, the combination of that and COVID, which made everyone, I think, reflect a lot on life and what matters... I started to really ask myself like, okay, what do you want to get done over, call it the next five to 10 years? And I have worked at, you know, Oracle and SAP and Salesforce. I've worked 
Hyperion was smaller, but I hadn't really worked at a high growth company pre IPO. And it was something, you know, I've had a few people say to me, you know, oh, you're a big company CMO. And that didn't sit so well with me. You know, I'm like, I'm gonna try, you know, maybe I have something to prove to myself. I hope I didn't tell you that. <laughs> I don't think it was you. I don't think it was you. Maybe it's what I told myself. But yeah, I, I was like, you know what? Over the next five to 10 years, it's something that I really want to do. And I, you know, it just became obvious to me that like I had to be deliberate. You know, being CMO at Salesforce, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. It's all consuming. And so I had to really ask myself, like, if you're going to do this, be deliberate. When are you going to do this? And so it became clear to me that I was going to make that change. And then it became about, well, where? What would you want to do? You know, and uh, I looked across industries, I looked across tech segments. And the one thing that I saw really consistently at Salesforce was meeting with customers all the time was that. Yes, every company is trying to digitally transform. And yes, every company is trying to create connected customer experiences. And they're all in different places in their maturity of it. But the biggest thing that I saw was that they're still all dealing with the underlying data problem. The reality is like there's all these rich industry and line of business applications coming out and software's playing a bigger role. But the software, you know, the data is the oil, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's the currency. And there was an underlying data problem. You know, everyone wants to be able to have access to all the data and differing type of data and from different clouds and on-premise and different sources, and they need it and want it in real time. And I didn't see for a long period of time, a solution for that. I mean, if you think about data, it's, been databases. Oracle started on a database and databases, the whole design principle behind them is based on the notion of data sitting at rest. You know, you picture all these databases with data sitting in them and you have to query the database to get any of that data out. And I came upon Confluent and and saw that, wait, this is a company that is taking on a big, very audacious goal which is a complete data paradigm shift. Like basically breaking down that fundamental design of saying data at rest to moving to the idea of data in motion. Like the whole idea that data sits in databases and you query the data is just not going to work to be able to do things. Not in our time today, not in our environment. Right. And so I looked at it and then I, I started really just studying, you know, um, the infrastructure market and data. And by the way, if you had told me I spent most of my career on the application side, so you had said to me, hey, you're going to be the CMO of a, you know, a data infrastructure company and told me that two or three years ago, I would have laughed. But as I started to do my due diligence, I was like, I didn't want to go to something that was just a new feature set in marketing or in right. sales. I wanted to go to something in tech that I felt was like in a transformational state. State, And it's an incredibly interesting time, all things data management. I mean, we all watch the IPO of Snowflake. We watch what's going on with Databricks. It's a very inf- interesting time right now. There is definitely a data shift happening. 
It has been yep. such a theme for us, even as a company with our clients as well. So it, it's the timing. Timing works, right? Yeah, now. it's a thousand percent. Like we're we're changing the way we think about storing data, processing data, moving data. Completely. And I was like, this is not going to be boring. This is for the next <laughs> call it one, three, five years. Like there's going to be winners and losers. And I'm like, this is going to be an exciting space to be in. The TAM, the the total addressable market is massive. You know, this space will be something to watch in five, 10, 20 years. You know, we look back, who knew when Oracle started and there was the database market. I think we will have stories of that magnitude to tell in the years out on this I shift agree. that's happening with data. Confluent is, you know, data in motion. The CEO and the founders are Confluent are actually the co-creators of the open source technology for data in motion. So I was like, these people have this incredible legacy. They're sort of the founding fathers of it. And yes. I want to be part of that. That's awesome. You know, we talk to executives all the time who are, you know, preparing for IPO and getting ready for their organizations to go public. What is that like on the inside? What is the focus about getting ready to become a public company, both from a business perspective and a marketing perspective? Yeah, I think from a marketing perspective, it's about your brand. You know, it's such a seminal event for a company. It's a big moment in the journey. You know, there's one person in the company who says, you know, an IPO is the wedding. Then you build this great marriage. So it's, you know, it's not everything. It's a moment in time, but it's an important moment in time. And I think just the public visibility makes it an incredible brand building moment. For marketing, I think a lot of companies before they IPO, you know, they're forming their brand, but maybe they've been predominantly focused on pipe generation and less on defining their brand and what are the brand stories and what is the look and feel and what are the brand values of the company. I think those things often are not as well thought out or as mature in a company because smaller companies are typically putting from a marketing perspective, they're starting with pipe generation as they should. So I think it formalizes a lot related to defining your brand, your brand, your brand strategy, as well as um, the values of the company. You know, you're as a public company, there's a higher level of transparency. What does this company stand for? People don't just buy anymore based on your products and services. They want to know what a company stands for. What are the values of the company? They want to know who they're operating with and how you make decisions. And so making sure all of that is really crystallized and is clear so you're ready when you're a public company for that level of transparency. So I think that's it from a marketing perspective. I think across the entire business, I think it's about putting in the processes for scale. Confluent is a hyper-growth company and is growing incredibly fast. And you know, making sure that you have the processes in place that you can really scale. And we all know this, like the things that work for a company at 50 million and then 150 million and then a $500 million company to a billion. Like right when you put a set of processes in place, you often outgrow them. And so what are those end-to-end scalable processes that you can have in your organization that will allow you to capitalize on that growth? That's great. Thank you for that insight. What do you think the future of marketing looks like? 
Yeah. Marketing is an interesting time because, well, there's a couple things at play. One, there's the shift, obviously, in the marketing mix, which is what I mean by that is, you know, particularly in, in B2B tech, there was such a reliance on events. It's kind of interesting because everyone would say, you know, digital first. But then if you really look at a lot of B2B tech company marketing mixes, you'd go talk to dozens of CMOs. The lion's share of the budget was on events. We still all were heavily leaning on events. And so the question is, will that come back in its entirety? I don't think it will. I think if I had to find a silver lining of the pandemic is that it forced um, marketers to get more digitally savvy. It was an incredible forcing function. So I don't think people will go back to, you know, loading their budget with industry conferences and user conferences and events to the same extent. I think, I also think customers and prospects won't behave that way. I think everyone used to think nothing of jumping on a plane to fly across the country to go to an event for a day to fly home. And I think everyone's rethought like, maybe that's not good for my body. Maybe that's not good for the environment. So I think people are going to be more selective and be smarter. So I think it'll be a hybrid world and people are getting a lot more creative. So I think, you know, if we could take a page from like the Netflix out there, where you can really come in and sort of choose your own adventure and engage with rich content in a digital forum, I think you will see that cut across every industry. And it's certainly happening in tech. You look at the, all of the content franchises that are being built right now and the content syndication and all of it, the rich media, it's pretty amazing. And it's great because candidly in tech, you know, some of those industry conferences were kind of tired and sad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you had to crack yourself going to some of them and be like, am I really still doing this 20 years later? Yeah. So I think you're going to see new types of content, richer content. The other thing that I think is awesome is far more co-creation. And what I mean by that is like your customers and your prospects, we used to do reference marketing where it's like you would go ask the customer a set of questions and they'd be your reference. I think the line between the customer and the company has become completely blurred in a good way. So they are far more involved in shaping your products and services. You know, it started with companies going, oh, I should have a customer advisory board and ask them their opinions. Now it's like product is being co-created at the customer site with the customer. Mm -hmm. The same will be true for marketing. What I want to see happen is, you know, all of these corporate websites are tired. You know, they're still for the most part product catalogs. And I think there's a real opportunity to co-create your content digitally with your customers. Now that means you have to be able, willing to give up a little bit of brand control. But I think the authenticity, the quality of the content, all of that is so much richer. And so that's a great opportunity is to say, hey, I'm going to create space on my website that there's customers having conversation. I'm going to let customers do customer blogs on the website. I'm going to put customer reviews of product. I mean, think about that. We have that in the consumer world, but yeah. we don't do that today for the most part on a B2B, B2B tech side. 
from a customer point of view, real time. I think that's really interesting. I'm going to ask a question now that I know is near and dear to your heart. I know for a fact, because we've had many conversations about this, I know that female leadership in tech, diversity is something you are immensely passionate about. I'm not sure if you know this, but here at Diversa, we're very proud to say as a firm, we are 64% women and 58% women across our own senior leadership team. But you've been such a champion for diversity in the workplace. What's driven you to be such an advocate? And what changes have you seen around diverse representation in these last few years? Yeah, I'm a champion because I've had such a positive experience. And I know not everyone has. And maybe it's an optimism I have, but I know that so many other women can come in and be super successful. And I I get energy off of helping other women and opening doors and showing people I feel privileged, thankful. I'm learning every day in my career and I want that for other women. I don't want to stereotype, but I do think women suffer from imposter syndrome potentially more than men. I've had so many women over the years say, I haven't done this before. Can I do this? And kind of helping them get past that. And just saying like, yes, you're going to have some discomfort, but just embrace the discomfort. But don't let it paralyze you. Don't let it hold you back. I've had so many women over the years for me, when they're interviewing for a job, they can be very almost methodical. Like, well, I've done this, but I haven't done that. And then when I'll meet with a man interviewing for the job, they may have done none of it before, but they'll say, yeah, I could do it. And so helping other women break through that. And I, I, again, I don't want to stereotype, but I I see it consistently in women. Mm -hmm. It's helping them give themselves permission to go, you don't have to have done everything. (laughs) And it's okay just to allow a little bit of the discomfort. In fact, some of our greatest growth and learning in life comes during those moments of discomfort. And so I had it myself. Um, I still have it. I'm human. But by kind of like practicing it on myself and then also in helping other women, it helps me be better at what I do. And hopefully it helps other women be better. And so I'm really about being an advocate. I know a lot of people are mentors and mentors are great. But I think advocates actually open doors. So I also get a lot out of making connections, you know, talk to someone and figuring out like, this is what they want to do. And then helping people kind of tease out like, what's their superpower? Because I genuinely believe, you know, there's only one of each of us and everyone has something unique to offer and helping people tease that out. Sometimes one of the other areas that's tricky is that I think as women, we see a a path and we go, oh, we have to do that path and follow that path. And it's like, no, you don't. Create your own path. I mean, I think I'm an example of that right now, changing and going, you know, I've had a million people say to me, you left Salesforce? And it's like, this isn't my dad's generation. You know, my dad worked 35 years at the same company. And I think we are at a place right now where we can do learning and trying new things, even at 50 years old and go, you know what, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to go in a different space and I'm going to get new learnings. And I want that for others. I think that's really interesting. 
we're yeah. also in a world where leadership matters. Uh, there's a lot of conversation about executives wanting to move to organizations that have strong leadership at the top, strong mentorship. What has helped you become a successful leader in business, Stephanie? Well, I said it in the beginning, I, I'm an extrovert and I like people and I, I believe that there's something unique about everyone and everyone has something to bring to the table. And it's just a matter of figuring out what that is and then helping that person in that direction. And so I do think it's said a lot, but I do think, you know, being empathetic, taking the time to like understand like people and what motivates them and what inspires them and how do they learn and how do they communicate? I'll give you an example. You know, even coming into Confluent, people will say to me, well, how do you want me to communicate with you? You know, it's sort of a tactical thing. Do you, would you prefer an email? Would you prefer this? Or, and I've always felt like it's important to be fluid because I believe in servant leadership that I'm here to help the team be successful. And so a lot of times I try to mirror the people on the team in terms of what I think is going to make them most successful. And so a tactical example is you have some people who really need that structure where it's like, we're going to meet once a week and we're just going to burn down a list of things together. And then there's some people that I call it, you know, they work in fast food. It's like, you know, they're texters and, and they need to feel a connection with you every day. And I enjoy flexing to the different styles. I don't kind of come at it with like, this is my leadership style. Like this is the way I communicate. And you have to like get on the bus my way or the highway. I think a lot of times you get more out of people if you take the time to figure out what makes them sing versus forcing them to your way. Um, you get more out of it. And so I think part of that is being empathetic, taking the time to understand people. It's amazing for all this technology innovation at the end of the day behind all the technology, still humans, still people, you know, still human connection is really what it's all about. And so taking the time to make that human connection. And I think with all the technology, you just have to work that much harder at it. And now people being remote and on Zoom, you know, you have to find ways to like slow down and find your way to make your connection with people. I mean, the truth is, I mean, you do so much more with someone and you can be far more successful when you have trusted relationships. Otherwise, it just feels transactional when you don't feel any kind of connection. Absolutely. Uh, I love that advice. Great, great answer. I love it. What's the one thing you wish you had known when you began your career? That's an interesting follow-up to what we just discussed. I think it's, it's that, I don't want to say living without fear, but like that kind of be fearless and be okay with that discomfort. I think sometimes we always want things to be good. And yet I have found that when you put yourself in places of vulnerability, it's like your greatest learnings happen. Right. You know, every time I've taken on something, maybe bitten off a little bit more than what you know what I've done before, it just pays back in spades. It's like, oh, yeah, right. a little bit uncomfortable. I didn't have every answer. I didn't know exactly, but wow, incredible learning, incredible growth. 
I got something that I could add to my kind of, you know, my work career toolkit. Yep. In fact, a little bit of taking more risks, you know, it's that risk reward benefit. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we've all been on this uh, 15 month crazy wild ride. The world looks like it's starting to get back on its feet. I know a lot of people are excited. What are you most looking forward to for the second half of the year, Stephanie? You know, I do love travel. I really do. I traveled a lot with my job. I traveled personally and internationally. And I, you know, gotten in my car and done those short trips. But I I really getting to other countries, getting to meet with teams in those offices. And so I look forward to that. I look forward to getting back together. Like I said, I just finished saying like human connection is everything. And being able to just have a meal, break bread (laughs) with a team, it just creates that connection, connectedness and people just, you can move faster. You can do more innovative things together. I know on our side, we're already talking about where are we going to have lunch? What dinner places haven't we been to in a while as a group? So that's all to come. And I think it's going to put a lot of smiles on people's faces just to have that human connection for, you know, our work the end of the day. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about inflection points in your life that have really helped define who you are as an executive today. You know, would love to even understand how you've been able to be successful. Yeah, I, you know, it probably a, a bit more personal, but I grew up with parents divorced and stepsisters and a very blended family environment. And so I've always been used to being with a group and I, you know, I had my father, I had my stepfather, had all these wonderful people in my life. And I actually had such a positive experience through that. You know, often you hear people who grow up in blended families and don't have good stories to tell. And yet I just had this village of people around me and supporting me. And I think that helped shape how I show up. I love building teams. I love working with people from all different corners of the world. I get a lot of joy from that. And actually the act of bringing people together. So I think one, my upbringing that I grew up in. The second is my three stepchildren. My husband and I actually had full custody of them and raised them. So I was a very young 20-something raising three stepchildren before I even had my own daughter. And again, just... You know, a lot of people would say, wow, that that sounds hard. And yet maybe because I was raised the way I was, I just took to them and and got such joy out of raising them. And they're very close to me now and they're all grown up and having their own kids. But I think just, again, that, that setting of having a lot of different ages and people around me, that definitely has shaped how I show up. I'm an extrovert for sure. My husband sometimes faults me that like, do you have to say hi to everyone in an elevator? Do you have to talk to them? And I just, I do. That's who I am. I get my energy from being around other people and hearing different perspectives and and what people have to bring to a table. COVID must have been tough for you being in isolation then if you like to be surrounded by people. What did you learn about yourself during, you know, these last 15 months Yeah, you know, I think it was a gift for me in terms of time with my family. My husband and I, fast, busy lives, you know, and you're raising children, everything becomes a set of tasks and you're moving so quickly. 
And I think it just turned, you know, slowed things down a little bit and just the time together in at home, you know, it was like, wow, when was the last time I like in the work week actually ate lunch with my husband? And that started to happen through COVID. And that was really nice. You know, we've been together 20 plus years. And yet, you know, I was out the door every morning by 7.30 and home late and, you know, with a a big job. And I think COVID has just been such a great opportunity to like really reconnect with your family. To your point about just eating dinner as a family together on a Wednesday, which you don't normally do because you're, you're shuffling around kids and you're taking a work call here and there. So I agree. I think a lot of people have really appreciated the moment just to pause for personal life. You realize that like, if you're not careful, life can become so transactional. Right. You just have this list of that you're trying to get through. And it's like, is, does all that really matter? Like just stop and maybe do fewer things and be more present with the things that you are doing. And so that's definitely my takeaway. And I'm, I'm going to try. I don't know how good I'm going to be at it, but I'm really going to try as we kind of go back to a being able to go out and be with people to keep that in the forefront of my mind. We'll keep each other honest. When do we plan to do that? We'll keep each other honest. Absolutely. Stephanie, thank you so much for your time with us today. It was really great. You've given us great things to think about, some great advice, and I wish you all the best for what's to come. Thank you so much for having me, and I wish you all the best as well. And and you're on my list too, one of those people that we need to sit across the table and have a meal together. So when I, when I make my way out to the East Coast, hopefully we'll get some time together in person. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dare to Be Legendary, brought to you by Diversa Partners. Feel free to check out the show notes for resources that we've mentioned throughout the episode. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, share with friends, and leave us a review. This helps us get content to more listeners like you. Thanks again and stay tuned for our next episode.